That was, uh, that was good. I hope you enjoyed that. that uh, man, just praising the Lord. That was, uh, that was fantastic. If you have a uh, Bible with you, please turn to the book of Acts. If you don't have a Bible, we will put all the verses on the screen this morning. If you do have a Bible, I'd encourage you to look there. Uh, I want you to know that what I say today truly comes from your Bible. So uh, Acts chapter 15 is where we are uh, here this morning. For those of you just kind of joining us for the first time, I've been preaching through uh, the book of Acts. We are now in Acts chapter 15, and we will start reading here in just a few minutes in verse 22. Acts chapter 15, uh, reading in a few minutes in verse 22. Let's go ahead and pray as we start. Well, Father, we would just pause and acknowledge that you are our God. You are the giver of all true life in and through Jesus Christ. And Jesus, you said, I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. The giver of all true life. And so, Father, we would just pause and we look to you. We would acknowledge that apart from you, we have no life. Apart from you, we are very, very lost. We are in trouble. And we would just look to you now and say, Father, in and through Christ our Savior, will you just give us life again? Stir our hearts, our affections, open our eyes. We just ask for your help now as we read your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The true gospel message of the Bible It is a Christ alone gospel. It is Christ alone who saves you. The Bible is very, very clear. We by nature are sinners. Separated from God. We cannot wash away our sin. We cannot save ourselves. And yet, the good news message of the Bible is that Jesus can save. All by himself. He has done all that is necessary. He lived, he died, he rose again to take our punishment for sin. And all you do is receive that free gift. Turn from your sin and repentance and embrace Christ by a simple childlike faith. And and you've entered God's kingdom. A Christ alone gospel, the gospel message of the Bible. But that true biblical gospel message for 2,000 years has been under constant attack. People relentlessly trying to add things to the gospel, to make it a Christ plus gospel. Yes, trust in Christ to be saved, but you must also do a few things yourself to be saved. Adding some form of human works to that gospel equation. A false, deadly gospel or Christ plus gospel. And at the start of Acts chapter 15... The true Christ alone gospel was under attack. At the start of this chapter, some Jewish Christians called Judaizers, they were adding some things to Christ. They believed that Gentiles, that non-Jews, in order for Gentiles to be saved, well, those Gentiles had to trust in Christ, but they also had to be circumcised like a Jew. They had to keep the Old Testament Jewish laws. They essentially had to become Jews. 
in addition to trusting in Christ in order to be saved. It was a Christ plus gospel. And these Judaizers, in the passage right before the one we're going to read, these Judaizers had left the church in Jerusalem. They, they had traveled 300 miles north to a Christian church in Antioch. And these Judaizers were now teaching the Gentiles there this distorted gospel or Christ plus gospel. But the twelve apostles and other leaders then called a council back in Jerusalem and they discussed this issue and the council's decision. They said the Gentiles did not need to do all of that stuff. They did not need to become Jews in order to be saved. All the Gentiles needed was a simple faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the true Christ alone gospel. And in this passage here, we're going to read this council of leaders that has now made this decision defending the true Christ alone gospel. Well, they now send a letter up to those Gentile Christians in Antioch with their decision. So let's go ahead and read it. Acts 15 verse 22. Luke is writing this, and he says, Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church there in Jerusalem to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, in Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons, these Judaizers, have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us, this council of leaders, to lay on you, you Gentile Christians in Antioch, no greater burden than these requirements that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch. And having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Amen. So these Gentile believers up in this town of of Antioch, they've now received this news from this council down in Jerusalem. And they now know that the true way of salvation is by faith alone, in Christ alone. They don't need to be circumcised like the Jews. They don't have to follow all the Old Testament Jewish laws. A simple faith in Christ and they are saved. A Christ alone gospel. And what we see here in this text then, I believe, are a few gospel products. 
You know, when the true Christ alone gospel, when it is proclaimed like it is right there in this letter, well, this Christ alone gospel, it then produces some things in those who hear and receive it, some gospel products. And we see here, I believe, three gospel products, three things that the true Christ alone gospel will produce in those who receive it by faith. And here are the gospel products on the screen. What does the Christ alone gospel produce? We see here a gospel freedom, a gospel surrender, and a gospel joy. And the first thing we'll look at here, the first thing the true Christ alone gospel produces is a gospel freedom. Verse 22 says that this council now sent this letter with Paul and Barnabas and a couple other men. This guy Judas, who was also called Barsabbas, and Silas. Now this Judas, we don't know anything about him. It's the only time he's mentioned in the Bible. Silas, however, will become very important now in the book of Acts. In the very next passage here, Silas will join Paul on Paul's second missionary journey. And in several of Paul's New Testament letters, he will now mention Silas, who is also called Silvanus. So important man, this Silas. And Judas and Silas were now heading to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas carrying this letter from the Jerusalem council. And I want you to notice first here just a couple of very important words in this letter. Because these couple of words here, they indicate to us just how devastating a false Christ plus gospel can be. If you look again at verse 24, the council's letter says this to the Gentiles in Antioch. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us, these Judaizers who left from Jerusalem, since we've heard that they came to you, Gentiles in Antioch, and have troubled you with words, unsettling your souls, your minds, Although we gave them no instructions to go up there and teach you these things, since they did it, it has now seemed good to us, having come to one accord at this council, to choose men and send them to you. And just pause for a second. These Gentile Christians in Antioch, they had originally heard the true gospel, the Christ alone gospel from Paul and Barnabas, who originally established that church. Gentiles, Christ did everything for you in his life, death, and resurrection. Just repent now and believe in Christ and you're full members of the household of God. And these Gentiles up there, they they believed it. And they entered God's kingdom. But now, these Judaizers had come teaching different things in Antioch, adding some things to Christ. Yes, Gentiles, trust in Christ to be saved, but you Gentiles must also become Jews to be saved, a Christ plus gospel. And notice what this Christ plus gospel produced in these Gentile believers. Verse 24 says that those those false gospel words had troubled them. The Greek could be translated as it disturbed or agitated them. This inward turmoil now in these young Gentile Christians, this internal distress now 
troubling them. The Apostle Paul in Galatians 1.7, he uses the exact same word to describe this false gospel of the Judaizers. He says this, Paul says, but there are some who trouble you, Gentile Christians, and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And there's just this repetition in the Bible, this false Christ plus gospel troubling the souls of young believers, causing them to think maybe Christ isn't enough. Maybe I actually do need to do some things to be saved. And this letter then adds another important phrase, verse 24. It says this false gospel had troubled the Gentile believers, unsettling their minds. This mental confusion now in these Gentile believers. And and both of those Greek words for troubled and unsettled, when you put them together, they can refer to the dismantling of one's mental condition. F.F. Bruce compares it to a military onslaught that plunders a town. This Christ plus gospel, false gospel, was a verbal onslaught dismantling, plundering the minds of the the Gentile believers. And listen, these young believers up in Antioch because of this false gospel, we're now very burdened, weighed down by this false gospel. Back at the Jerusalem council, when Peter had spoken to the Judaizers about their false gospel, Peter said this in Acts 15.10. He said, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of those Gentile disciples up in Antioch? All of these Extra requirements you're placing on the Gentiles. Things they need to do to be saved. Circumcision, following the Jewish laws, it's just a heavy yoke on them. Paul in Galatians 5 calls it a yoke of bondage. A yoke of slavery. And and you, you think about what's going on and what's happened in this chapter. It was just a few Christ plus words from these Judaizers. Yes, trust in Christ but you must also do just a few things to be saved. And now, because of just those few false words, these genuine Gentile Christians had become troubled and unsettled, choking under this heavy yoke. And and please hear this. That is what every Christ plus gospel does. And... There are lots of Christ plus gospels in our day today. They all may sound a little different on uh, on the surface, but at the core, they're all very similar. A false or a Christ plus gospel, it always says something like this to you. In order for you, sinner, to be saved, to be forgiven, you must trust in Christ plus do just a few other things yourself. Maybe it's this Jewish version. It's still around today. You must trust in Christ, sinner, but also keep some Old Testament Jewish laws. Maybe those food laws. Or trust in Christ, 
but you also must join a certain church denomination or trust in Christ, but also then dress this certain way or home or, or school your kids a, a certain way or trust in Christ, but then don't ever watch a movie or never taste wine because true Christians don't do those things and then you'll be saved. It's a little of Christ's work for you plus then a little of your work for Christ and God then supposedly looks at your combination of both faith and works and says, you made it, I will save you. It's a Christ plus gospel. And please hear me. Every Christ plus gospel, it will almost always, at some point in time, trouble your soul. Unsettle your mind. A heavy yoke on your neck. Because once you start to think, I've got to do one thing or another thing, how do you know that's the only thing you need to do? And how do you know you've ever done it well enough to actually make it into heaven? The Christ plus gospel will always cause problems. It could be, that you are a genuine Christian here today. That, that years ago, you received the true Christ alone gospel. You heard it is by Christ alone that you're saved. And man, you turned from your sins and you just trusted in Christ and you were forgiven by God. But then, some Judaizer came your way and started teaching you otherwise started adding a few things to Christ. Told you true Christians, yeah, they trust in Christ, but they follow Jewish food laws. You better stop eating bacon. Or true Christians, oh, they never watch a movie. Or some other gospel add-on. And the, the second you received those additions as necessary in some way for your salvation, it began to trouble your soul. Unsettle you, suffocating you now under this legalistic yoke of bondage. Like these Gentile believers here, they're struggling now up in Antioch. Now they don't know, is it Christ alone or do I do all kinds of other things as well? But this letter here, it will liberate them. A gospel freedom. You know, back at the Jerusalem council when James, when James gave the final decision of the council, I want you to look at what James said in Acts 15.19. 15, he said, therefore my judgment, final judgment of the council, is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. And look what the letter says, verse 28. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you Gentile Christians no greater burden than these simple requirements which we'll look at in a second. But that right there, no greater burden, they were removing circumcision from the equation, they were removing following all the old Jewish laws from the equation, that was the council's way of saying that for Gentiles to be saved, 
They did not need to do all those things. They did not need to become Jews. But just a simple faith in Christ, a Christ alone gospel, which we will see in a minute will lead to great joy in these Gentiles because they will now experience once again the gospel freedom of the Christ alone gospel. There's nothing else you need to do to be fully forgiven by God. No oppressive yoke you need to bear. No impressive works you need to perform. No legalistic, self-righteous additions. Just trust in Christ. Trust in Christ. Trust in Christ in faith. A tremendous gospel freedom. A gospel lightness. (laughs) Jesus calling out to you, Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Come to me, all you who are crushed under oppressive legalistic loads. Come to me, Jesus says. Receive me and all that I have done for you. Receive it by a simple faith. And you enter the kingdom of God. A tremendous gospel freedom. I had an old pastor friend. He was down south and he would write all these little gospel songs and kind of sing them on his uh, guitar. And one of his songs said, I'm free. I'm free to follow the master. I'm free. Free as I can be. I'm free. Free forever after. I'm even free from the Pharisee. I'm free from all the Judaizers out there who want to try to add upon me these legalistic yokes of bondage. All these additional things I need to do to be saved. I am free. If you Judaizers want to go do all those things and kill your joy, then have fun. Or don't have fun. (laughs) Is what it comes down to for the Judaizers. But by the grace of God, I am free in Christ Jesus alone. Paul says this, Galatians 5.1, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, Christians, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. A gospel, or a Christ plus gospel, that wants to add all kinds of things on you for salvation. There's a gospel freedom. Nothing more you need to do to be saved. But a second thing here, then, that the true Christ alone gospel produces, what produces a gospel Surrender. Gospel surrender. You know, as a free Christian now, those of you who are saved by faith alone in Christ alone, as a free Christian now, well, Christ will now call you at times to surrender some of your freedom. To surrender some of your Christian liberty, not in order that you might be saved, but just out of love for other people. In order that the lost might be saved or other Christians might not stumble. A gospel surrender that we see here now in this text. This this council, after stating clearly that the Gentiles were saved by faith alone, we will put no more burden on you Gentile Christians. Well, this council then gives a few instructions. If you look again at verse 28. 
They say, for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden, you Gentile Christians, than these requirements. That you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. You just look at those those few instructions there, the first thing to make very clear right off the bat here is this council was not saying there that those were requirements for salvation. You Gentiles, you don't need to be circumcised to be saved or do all these, follow all these Jewish laws, but you do need to do these things in order to be saved. No, that's another Christ plus gospel. These, the, the, those things don't have anything to do with salvation. Why did the council give those instructions there? They just wanted the Gentile Christians now to be sensitive to the Jews in their area. To the Jewish Christians, who li- or to the Jews who lived around them, and to the Jewish Christians who might be in their church up there in Antioch. You're, you're saved, Gentiles, by faith alone, but out of love now. For the Jews in your area, the Jews in your church, so that you don't offend them unnecessarily, we actually want you to surrender now in love some of your gospel freedom, some of your gospel liberties. And we know this, that this had to do with a Jewish sensitivity here because of what James said earlier when he gave the council's final decision. If you look up at verse 21... James here, he had just listed these simple instructions we just read, and he then gave a reason why he wanted the Gentiles to follow them. Here it is. Why should they follow these things? For, James says, or because from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Listen, that was just James's very simple way of saying Hey, you Gentiles up there in Antioch, in every city in this area, including yours, Jews have been there for years reading the Old Testament Mosaic laws. They live all around you, these Jews, and for the sake then of that Jewish conscience in your area, in your church, so that you don't offend all these Jews unnecessarily because we want the lost Jews there to be saved. We don't want the Jewish Christians in your church to break fellowship with you. For these reasons, Gentiles, please abstain from these few things. Not to be saved, but just out of love. A gospel surrender. There are four different things here that this council asked the Jews or asked the Gentiles to abstain from or, or, or to not do. And the first three that we read have to do with foods. Foods that they were asking the Gentile Christians not to eat. The first thing the council asked them not to eat, verse 29, is food sacrificed to idols. Please, Gentile Christians, don't eat the food sacrificed to idols. Why? Well, in Gentile areas, like up in Antioch, in pagan religions, they sacrificed to their pagan gods. Once they sacrificed, one-third of the meat was then burned on that pagan altar. 
Another third was then eaten at a meal in the pagan temple. And one third was taken outside of the pagan temple and sold. And the meat sold at the temple was much cheaper than the meat sold at the local meat market. Shopping at the temple was like shopping at Aldi's compared to shopping at Kowalski. It was just a lot cheaper sold at the temple. Look at this cheap sirloin I got. It was dedicated to Zeus. Enjoy! (laughs) But the Jews, they would not touch that meat. Sacrifice to a false god, an idol, was highly offensive to the Jews. Even most Jewish Christians at this time, trusting in Christ, they still thought that that sacrificial meat there was probably off limits for all Christians. But here's the crazy thing. That meat sacrificed to idols, it was not actually off limits for Christians to eat. It was actually a gospel freedom for all Christians, Jew or Gentile, to eat that meat. Paul in 1 Corinthians 8, 4, he said this. He said, therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. And what he's saying there, it's Paul's simple way of saying it's fine to eat it. 1 Corinthians 10, 25, he says this, eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience as to whether it came from one of these temples or not. Why? Because, Christian, you're free to eat it. It was a gospel liberty, a gospel freedom for the Christians to eat this meat that had been sacrificed to idols. That is a gigantic, mind-blowing freedom for a first-century Christian, both Jew or Gentile. You're free to eat that meat. Now, Paul says elsewhere, if your conscience as a Christian condemned you for eating that meat, and you did not have the faith to embrace that gospel freedom, then it was sin for you to eat the meat. You'd be defiling your conscience. But there was nothing inherently sinful in that meat that had been offered to that pagan idol. You had freedom as a Christian. A serious gospel freedom. However, as a Christian, there are times when you should surrender your gospel freedom for the sake of those around you. Paul Back in 1 Corinthians 8, he went on to say this about food offered to idols. 1 Corinthians 8, 9. But Christians take care that this right of yours to eat that meat, sacrificed to idols, does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak Christian. Therefore, Paul says, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. So, Even though I'm perfectly free in Christ Jesus to eat that meat, if it will cause a weaker Christian to stumble, 
They, they don't yet have the faith to embrace that freedom. It will cause them to fall into sin in some way. If they see me eat it, then Paul says, I will never eat that meat. I will gladly surrender my freedom for the sake of others. And this council is now just asking these Gentiles out of love for the lost Jews around them and out of love for the Jewish Christians in their church who'd be highly offended if they did eat that meat sacrificed to idols. And these Jewish Christians would probably then break fellowship with them. So the council is saying, please, Gentiles, for the sake of the gospel, surrender your freedom to eat that meat. Abstain in your area. And the next two instructions here, they also have to do with foods that could offend the Jews in the area. Verse 29 says in the letter that these Gentiles should also abstain from blood and from what had been strangled. And those two things go together. The Jews, back in the Old Testament laws, they were forbidden to eat blood. So they would slaughter their animals before they cooked them. Drain all of the blood out. Uh, to be gross on a Sunday morning. And an animal that was just strangled would still have all the blood in it. And the Gentiles in Antioch, around Antioch, they, they didn't mind the blood. They, they'd strangle animals and cook them. They'd eat their steaks rare. Uh, even the pagan priests, when they offered those pagan sacrifices, would taste the blood of the sacrifice. So that, once again, was just highly offensive to Jews, all of this blood that the Gentiles would eat. And many Jewish Christians still thought that eating blood was surely off limits for all Christians. Jews and Gentiles alike, that's what they thought. But once again, eating blood was not off limits. For Christians. There's nothing in the New Testament books that says a Christian cannot eat steak rare. <laughs> and that is great news for you steak tartare fans. I've never had that. That is nasty. That is the waste of good meat, not to grill that thing up. But please hear me, those of you who do that nasty thing. You have, you have gospel freedom in Christ to eat your steak bloody and nasty. And I'll just sit at the next table until you're done. But you have that freedom in Christ to eat your steak rare. Yeah, yeah. Okay, praise God from the steak tartare fan, the one and only in our crowd this morning. Pause for a second. Because there are some Judaizers in our day who will tell you otherwise. Oh, you better cook that steak if you want to go to heaven. Because they did it in the Old Testament. Only medium or above will get you into the kingdom. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. This was another gospel freedom. But 
This council down in Jerusalem once again was now asking these Gentiles up in Antioch, please lay down that freedom for the sake of the Jews in your area, for the Jews in your church who'd be offended unnecessarily by that and would break fellowship with you in love. Please abstain from eating your steak tartare. (laughs) Man, the final instruction here then, verse 29... The council says the Gentiles also abstain from sexual immorality. Now, that was a little different than the first three guidelines. This council now was not asking these Gentiles to lay down a gospel freedom. Oh, you Gentiles, you're free to commit sexual immorality, but the Jews would be offended, so don't do it. No. Sexual immorality is not a gospel freedom for any Christian. God calls us to purity in our sexuality, all sexual activity to be kept within the bounds of marriage. So why does the council tell these Gentiles to abstain from sexual immorality? Well, for starters, they probably just needed to hear it. You think of the culture that these Gentile Christians had come from. The culture they'd come from was very sexually promiscuous, very loose, sexually in that Gentile culture. Many pagan religions even practice cult prostitution, supposedly a way to appease their pagan gods. So many of these Gentile Christians in Antioch, they had probably come from some pretty loose sexual convictions, and they just needed to be reminded here to abstain now as Christians from sexual immorality. But listen, once again, This also had to do with the Jews in their area. Because the Jews had very strict sexual convictions. And one of the ways these Gentile Christians in Antioch could definitely offend the Jews in their area or the Jewish Christians in their church, just allow some sexual immorality in your ranks. And the Jews will be highly offended at you and cut you off for good. So once again, Gentiles, because God forbids it in His Word, and also because of Jewish sensitivities, abstain from sexual immorality. So we have these four different guidelines here in this text. And listen, apart from that last one with sexual immorality, the first three are all about a gospel surrender. Surrendering as a Christian some of your gospel freedom. Some of your liberty in love, surrendering it for the sake of others. In order that you might win the lost or in order that you will not cause a weaker Christian to stumble. Man, it comes down to this. Let me apply it here in our day. As a Christian, you have tremendous freedom in Christ. (laughs) tremendous freedom in Christ. You are free in Christ to eat bacon, which is really good. You are free in Christ to watch a movie if it doesn't cause you to sin. You are free in Christ to dress how you want in modesty. If it does not cause others to sin. You are free to drink wine in moderation like Jesus. 
if it doesn't cause you to sin in drunkenness. As a Christian, listen, you now live in this gigantic open field. Plenty of room to roam, to play, to enjoy the good things that God has given you. Now there's a fence around this big field. And anything outside that fence is sin. Off limits, sexual immorality, drunkenness, whatever is defined as sin by God's word, that is off limits. And the boundary is really defined by love. Everything in that field in which you now live, Christian, you're using God's gifts in love. Love for God and love for for other people. But the second you stop walking in love with God's good gifts, and now it's it's just a self-centered gratification, you've crossed the line. But but still, there's this gigantic field you have in, in which to roam to enjoy walking in love with God's gifts. And God looks at that entire field and he says, yes, that's really, really good, Christian. Enjoy your liberty. But there are times when Christ will ask you to surrender in love some of your gospel freedom for the sake of others. In order that others, in order that the lost might be saved or so you don't cause other Christians to stumble. Paul says this, Galatians 5.13, he says, For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And in order to serve one another in love, there are times when you surrender some of your gospel freedom. I'm free in Christ to eat meat, sacrifice to idols. I'm free to eat my steak, Rare, if I wanted to. I'm free to watch a movie. I'm free to drink wine. I'm free to eat bacon. But if doing those things will cause my weaker brother, sister to stumble, will cause you to sin, or if it will destroy in some way my opportunity to win the lost, a lost Jew maybe, then I will gladly, in love, I must, in love, surrender my freedom. And do you see, that is just what Christ did for you, Christian. Jesus, before he came to earth, Jesus was free to stay there in heaven. He was free to stay out of the sinful world. He was free to stay off the cross. He was free to allow you and me to take the punishment for our sin. But Jesus, in love, surrendered his freedom, his liberties for our sake. And Jesus now calls you, Christian, to to do the same. Jesus has given you tremendous gospel freedom. And can I say to you, Christian, do not be afraid of your freedom in Christ Jesus. Many Christians are so terrified of freedom. So, So scared of the freedom. Don't make the boundary smaller than God has in His Word, adding all these legalistic regulations that just suffocate you and other people. Enjoy your freedom by the grace of God, but do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but in love serve 
one another. These guidelines here, they weren't about salvation, how the Gentiles would be saved. They were about love. How the Gentiles would best love their neighbors, the Jews who lived around them. It was about maintaining fellowship in this local church. These guidelines, they were about winning the lost. Paul in 1 Corinthians 9.19, he says this. He says, for though I am free from all, I'm free from all the Judaizers, the legalistic bondage. Though I'm free from all in Christ, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew, surrendering some of my freedom in Christ in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, to Gentiles, Paul's saying, I became as one outside the law. I gave up all the Jewish regulations in order to win Gentiles, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. To save some. So hear this, Christian. Within within your bounds of Christian freedom, Within that big field that God has given you in which to play, what does it take to win the lost? Please don't live your life just to please self-righteous Christians. Please don't live your life just to please self-righteous Christians. Because living just to please holier-than-thou legalistic Christians, that just cuts you off from the lost. The lost see self-righteous Christianity. Holier-than-thou, they won't touch it with a ten-foot pole. They smell the hypocrisy, the legalistic junk. Paul did not live his life to please self-righteous Christians. Do you realize, Christians, the, the Scripture does not tell you to surrender your gospel freedom for self-righteous Christians. You are to surrender your freedom for weak Christians. Sincere Christians who are just struggling. They, they don't yet get it. But those who are self-righteous, holier-than-thou, legalistic. Paul didn't surrender his gospel freedom. Paul would stand in his gospel freedom because it provokes the self-righteousness. Stand firm in the freedom. So that's the first two gospel products here. What does the Christ alone gospel produce when you receive it by faith? Gospel freedom, gospel surrender. And the final thing here that the true Christ alone gospel produces, in just a couple words, it produces gospel joy. It produces gospel joy, and all I want to see you to see here is the response from these Gentile believers. They receive this letter saying there's nothing more for them to do, to be saved, just a simple faith in Christ, with just these few instructions to help them with the Jews. And I want you to see their response. Look at Acts 15, 31. And when they had read this letter, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. A great joy. Now in Antioch, man, I'll bet. These Gentiles, the Christians, they're waiting to hear, do we have to circumcise all our male babies? 
do the men have to be circumcised? Do we have to follow all the Old Testament Jewish laws? Do we got to do all this stuff? And then they hear, trust in Christ. And do these things for the Jews. And they exploded, I think, <laughs> with joy. They were liberated again from a legalistic bondage. And that's one final thing the Christ alone gospel can produce in you. Listen, if you embrace some Christ plus gospel, you start adding all these things that you need to do to be saved. You're adding all of these legalistic rules. Or as a Christian, you, you shrink the field and you limit your Christian freedom and the freedom of other believers and just some sort of legalistic self-righteousness. That stuff will kill your joy and the joy of everyone around you. But you stand firm on the true Christ alone gospel you start to experience a healthy Christian freedom that Christ has given to you, exploring as your conscience allows this gigantic field that God gives you, and your joy in Christ will grow. Christ no longer just some religious killjoy to you, but Christ now a life-giving producer of joy in you. This Christ alone gospel producing in those who receive it, freedom, surrender, and joy. My prayer, I just, I just pray you can embrace Christ alone by faith. And you can be liberated and you can uh, enjoy um, all those gospel products through faith alone in Christ. Well, Father, we bless your holy name. We do thank you, Lord God, for, uh, for your, your grace poured out to us in and through Christ alone. That as sinners, we, we have nothing uh, that we can do to earn salvation from you. You've done it all in and through Christ on the cross. You offer it freely. Help us to receive by faith, Father. And we thank you for freedom. The freedom you've given us in Christ Jesus. Father, we do want to stand in our freedom as the scriptures say. For freedom Christ has set you free. Stand fast, therefore, and do not be entangled again by a yoke of bondage. Help us to stand in our freedom. And yet, Lord, we do, do not want to go beyond the boundaries of our freedom, sinning against you and others. So help us, Father, to stand on Christ alone, to love you, and to love others well. In the name of Jesus, amen.